Today is Mother's Day, and I'd like to start with some Mother's Day cards. If you haven't gotten your mom a nice card this year, I have a few suggestions for you. Here's the first one. Thank you for giving me life, and thank you for not taking it back during my teen years. How about this one? No matter what life throws at you, at least you don't have ugly children. Or this one, Mom, I love you loads. Speaking of loads, can you do my laundry? Oh, some of those college kids have come back into town, haven't they? How about this one? Mom, last week everyone jumped off a cliff, but I didn't go. (laughs) And I'm sure your mom is proud of you. Here's another card. Instead of grandbabies, may I interest you in a card? And hey, any kudos you may have gotten from not jumping off that cliff, friend, you just lost. Mom, what's it like to have the greatest daughter in the world? I don't know, dear. You'll have to ask Grandma. (laughs) And this one is just a little too real to be funny at my house. Mom, I love your awesome texts, even when they don't make sense. How about this one? Unlike 1970s fashions, great moms never go out of style. Here's one. Good moms let you lick the beaters. Great moms turn them off first. (laughs) Here's a unique Mother's Day card. Congratulations, you produced the perfect child after just two tries. (laughs) And finally, you are the best mom I've ever had. But this is the place where I want to start this morning. For your earthly mom may not be the best mom you ever had. For in the next few minutes, I'd like to talk to you about your relationship with another mother. For if you're a Christian, you have a spiritual mom, the church. One of the most memorable quotes from the early church fathers came in the third century from a North African bishop named Cyprian. Cyprian was godly and humble, and he famously stated, No one can have God as father who does not have the church as mother. That quote's been retweeted a million times since. You don't have God as dad if you don't have the church as mom. In his treatise, Cyprian wrote, She, that is the spiritual, eternal church, is one mother, plentiful in the results of fruitfulness. From her womb we are born, by her milk we are nourished, by her spirit we are animated. And this was not just a Catholic concept. The Protestant reformers also saw the church in this light. In his work, The Institutes, John Calvin also quoted Cyprian, and he spoke over and over of the church's motherly role. Calvin believed that she is our other mother. Calvin writes, I shall start then with the church, into whose bosom God is pleased to gather his sons. Not only that they may be nourished by her help in ministry as long as they are infants and children, but also that they may be guided by her motherly care 
until they mature and at last reach the goal of faith. For those to whom he is father, the church may also be mother. And I agree. Scripturally and optically and practically and spiritually, the traits of a mother best depict the role of the church. This was the case in the church of Acts. In the year 32 AD, Christianity was a struggling newborn. Jesus had risen from the dead, but his followers were still afraid to come out in the light of day. Their faith was infantile, and they needed to be developed. Like a fertilized egg yet to hatch, it needed to stay incubated. Well, where best for it to grow than in the lap of a mother? The church played that role. Church was like a mom. Well, today is Mother's Day, and what I want to say is more an observation than a doctrine. For like a toddler, the Christian faith needed special care in its early days. And it still does today. At times, Christians can act like babies, can't they? The devil wants to keep us spiritually immature. That's why we need the church, our other mother. When the Adams family gathers together, even a group of supposed grown-ups can act a little juvenile at times. Adult children can revert back to adolescent behavior. But mom is usually the force that holds it all together. She has a way about her. And this is the role that the church has played in the development of Christianity. Imperfectly so. But the church continues to reinvent itself to get this job done. The church is a major part of what has held God's family together and kept us tracking and nurtured our growth. Again, if God is our Father, and Jesus is our Savior, and the Spirit is our Comforter, then the church is our mother. Well, first, let me show you scripturally a few verses that make this connection between the church and a mother. Remember the episode in Luke chapter 8? In verse 19, it says of Jesus, Then his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told him by some who said, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered and said to them, My mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. Already, very early in his ministry, Jesus had begun to redefine family relationships. In his kingdom, spiritual bonds trump flesh and blood. Commitment, not just genetics, formed unbreakable bonds between believers. You see, a new community had gathered around Jesus. Folks who desired to hear God's word and obey, and they wanted to do it together. Jesus is now speaking of this collective as my mother And my brothers, Jesus had begun to refer to the community of believers as a mother. There's another passage that also speaks to this thought. In Galatians chapter 4, Paul teaches that the new covenant of Christianity is far better than the old covenant of Judaism. Our salvation is by God's spirit, not our flesh, of faith, not works, through grace, not law. And he uses a story of Abraham's polygamous family to illustrate his point. 
You remember God promised Abraham's wife Sarah a son in her old age. But Abraham doubted and he tried to help God along. He took a slave girl named Hagar as a surrogate spouse. Hagar had a son named Ishmael who Paul called a child of the flesh. He was sired by human effort. Ishmael was the offspring of Abraham's ingenuity. But eventually, heaven did a miracle. Heaven bore a son in Sarah's barren womb. And the promised son, Isaac, was born by faith. Ishmael stood for the old covenant given on Mount Sinai and practiced in the earthly Jerusalem, that system dependent on human effort, whereas Isaac represented the miracle of the new covenant that we participate in by faith. And it's this new covenant that brings salvation down from heaven. Condemnation came from the systems of Judaism or Jerusalem below, but salvation came, Paul says, from Jerusalem above. And this is why in Galatians 4 verse 26, Paul refers to heavenly Jerusalem as the mother of us all. Now this is where the plot thickens. For it's interesting, when we get to Revelation 21, we find out the true identity of this heavenly Jerusalem. For John sees the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. The apostle introduces her as the bride, the lamb's wife. And of course, in the New Testament, who is referred to as the bride of Christ? The church. It seems that in the future, the sources of our salvation will merge. The bride and heaven and even the church will all be known as the mother of us all. I'm sure your earthly mom has been there for you at vital times in your life. Yet scripturally, you have another mother, the church, who's been there for believers for 2,000 years and will be on duty until she's taken home. And not just scripturally, but optically, you would also have seen the church as your mother. For the church in Acts had a weighty and a heavy motherly presence. You know, the women who followed Jesus weren't wallflowers in a misogynist world. No, these were brave girls. These were women with a backbone. Many of them had come from unsavory backgrounds. They knew the ridicule of men and thus appreciated the forgiveness and the acceptance of God. They were strong in their loyalty to Jesus. He had faced scorn and criticism for his compassion toward them. They were more than willing now to return the favor. You remember when the repentant woman broke the vial of perfume and anointed Jesus' feet? Jesus said to the judgmental rabbi sitting nearby, I say to you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. See, these women love much because they were forgiven much. I'm sure the deep passion of the early church toward the poor and needy came from the reciprocated love of women who had been on the receiving end of great grace themselves. And these women who followed Jesus followed him all the way to the cross. Even when his men forsook him, these mothers and daughters stood by Jesus' side. You remember when his corpse was taken down from the cross, we're told in Luke 23, the women who had come with him from Galilee followed 
after. And they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils. It always interests me that Luke chooses here to mention the home of these women. They were from Galilee. Galilee was just three days' journey from Jerusalem. But it felt so, so far away under the circumstances. These women had embraced Jesus as he taught on grassy hillsides and by a picturesque lake. Now they followed him through a riotous street in the midst of a lynching mob. Their journey began in the flowery fields of Galilee. It led to the bitterest of ends. And yet their loyalty to their king was so unconditional that they were even prepared to provide spices for his burial. And in Acts chapter 1, when the roll call is taken in the upper room, after the apostles are listed, guess who appears in the text? We're told these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women. Is it any surprise that these women were there from the very beginning? They were among the first members of Jesus' spirit-born church. And of course, the New Testament is replete with examples of the vital role that women played in the spread of Christianity. Mary Magdalene was first to see the risen Christ and report the news. Deaconesses served. A special order of widows were managed by Timothy. Priscilla tutored an evangelist named Apollos. Philip's four daughters were prophetesses. And Paul's friend, Phoebe, you remember, she smuggled under her robe his letter to the Romans. It is true that male and female roles matter to God. In fact, the church is the canvas on which that portrait gets painted. Men are called by God to lead, and women are called to welcome their leadership, for this says much to us and to the world about our relationship with Jesus. Look at the leadership of the church and you should see a masculine head. But look at the church's muscle and you'll see a mom's energy and effort and passion. The mere optics of the early church conveyed its female affinity. These strong gals that supported its mission made it easy to conceptualize the church as a mother. Well, spiritually or scripturally, optically and practically, The church is our other mother. For when you think about your earthly mother and the feeding and diapering and cleaning and nurturing and sheltering and mending and protecting and guiding and disciplining and consoling and celebrating that she's invested in you, you realize all the practical ways that she's impacted your life. Hopefully your first mom has been all that to you and more. Here's a list of jobs, by the way, that a person should be proficient at to be a good mom. Nurse, teacher, chef, hostess, judge, party planner, hairstylist, wardrobe consultant, secretary, janitor, photographer, spiritual counselor, cheerleader, accountant, interior designer, lifeguard, financier, bodyguard, coach, Uber driver and Lady MacGyver. (laughs) Listen to one mom's confession to her now adult child. She says, I loved you enough to ask where you were going, with whom you'd be with, 
and what time you'd be home. I loved you enough to insist that you save your money and buy that bicycle for yourself, even though I could have afforded to buy it for you. I loved you enough to be silent and let you discover that your new best friend was actually a jerk. I loved you enough to make you pay for the toy you took and to tell the clerk, I stole this yesterday and I'd really like to pay for it now. I loved you enough to stand over you for two hours while you cleaned your room a job that should have taken you 15 minutes. I loved you enough to let you assume the responsibility for your actions, even when the penalties were so harsh, they broke my heart. And finally, but most of all, I loved you enough to say no when I knew you would hate me for it. Those were the most difficult battles of all. I'm glad I won them, because in the end, you won too. So much goes into being a good mom. I love this quote by Elizabeth Stone. Making the decision to have a child is momentous. It is to decide forever to have your heart go walking around outside your body. I'm stunned by that. To have your heart go walking around outside your body. Having a child makes us vulnerable. It exposes us to disappointment and heartbreak and shame in ways we've never dreamed. At the same time, it opens us up to honor and joy and the gladdest sense of fulfillment. See, motherhood is not a safe neighborhood. It's a risky place to live. But it's where your life can really matter. I read to you earlier to begin today's lesson, Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47. At first, it sounds like such a frivolous and innocuous verse. You'd think the author could have eliminated this verse and done no real damage to the passage. I mean, what important information does it provide? It comes across as just sort of a filler verse between the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and the miracles that are yet to come. But let me read it to you again. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple... And breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. When I, as a pastor, read that verse, I get overwhelmed. I mean, for real, my blood pressure spikes. First of all, they're meeting every day. That means I no longer have a day off. I mean, they're in a meeting every day. In small groups, in large groups. Who's organizing these meetings? I mean, who's in charge of renting the temple and training leaders? And they're breaking bread. Who's providing the bread? I mean, who's paying for this? If we're buying Panera bread, it's going to be expensive. And, and it's occurring from house to house. That's a lot of bread. I mean, how are we going to get it all? And the Lord is adding to the church daily. I mean, that's wonderful, but how does a pastor remember all the new names? And these people need to be discipled. They need to be baptized and trained. And oh my, they have kids. They need nursery workers and Sunday school teachers. Now, I'm sure that much of what happened in the early church occurred organically. The Holy Spirit was in charge, no doubt. But as a pastor, I have a sense of what these simple descriptions might mean. 
church life in Acts was intense. The first church was a vibrant church. People really got involved with each other. Their fellowship was deep and rich and frequent. And dare I say, motherly. The love and laughter and life they experienced was palpable. This was not a drop-in once-a-month kind of church. This was a church you were committed to and a church that was committed to you. The church in Jerusalem mothered its family from cradle to grave. And in the spirit of the early church, every church should minister to its members like a mother to a child. We feed and diaper our newborns in the faith. We help people in bondage get free and clean. We nurture believers spiritually and teach them responsibility. We shelter them in environments that help them grow biblically and morally and socially. We help mend their wounds and protect them from heresy. Then we guide people in wisdom and we discipline them when they stray. And of course, we hurt with those who hurt and we rejoice with those who rejoice. And like a mother's job, is the role of the church demanding, exhausting, never-ending? Absolutely. I like this family circus cartoon. The little boy asks his mother, I forget, do we do things for you on Mother's Day or are you supposed to do things for us? (laughs) Just one day, that's all a mom asks. Yeah, she doesn't even get off on Mother's Day. I mean, a mother's job is 24-7, 365 days a year after year after year after year. But understand, the church keeps the same hours. Trust me, caring for God's family requires a mother's schedule. Our other mother has been at it nonstop for 2,000 years. Let me suggest the same problem exists when we talk about the motherhood of the church as when we discuss the fatherhood of God. You see, an obvious gap exists. As an earthly father, my job is to demonstrate to my kids the role of my heavenly father. Yet sometimes, in fact, perhaps most of the time, I fall miserably short. Maybe you had a dad that was more a dud. Well, the same can happen with the church. We study eras of church history and pockets of church life when believers are particularly vibrant and healthy and biblical. We read about all that God intends for the church to be. But then we compare what should be with what is, and we can get discouraged. We recognize that today's church is lacking. In fact, some folks have given up on the church. Recently, prominent Christian author Donald Miller created quite a stir on the blogosphere when he revealed that he no longer attended church. And he said that he knew very few Christian leaders who did. If the church is our mother, then Miller isn't a mama's boy. He's among many Christians who are estranged from their mother. In my opinion, this is the modern Christian's most glaring weakness. We no longer take church seriously. Society today is hyper-individualistic and anti-institutional, and Christians follow suit. 
Now that we can listen at our leisure to our favorite preacher's podcast and Spotify the latest worship tunes, why risk the rigors and deal with the inconveniences of actually attending church? In fact, current Christianity with its obsessive emphasis on being all about a personal relationship with God gives the impressions that folks can get along just fine without the church. Some Christians even view church as a distraction from their own private relationship with God. In a recent Christianity Today article, the author writes, For most of Christian history, a relationship with God was inseparable from a relationship with the church. Most believers over the last two millennia, Protestant, Catholic, and Orthodox alike, would deem spiritual life without the church as incomprehensible and impossible as biological life without a mother. You see, today, Cyprian's statement, no one can have God as father who does not have the church as mother, falls on deaf ears. I would imagine that for most of us, no matter how derelict our mother became in her duties, she'd have to fall pretty far down the snake hole before she got outright abandoned. I mean, after all, the lady is your mother. She brought you into the world. I mean, when you were born, you already owed her nine months womb and board. I'm sure none of us would be too quick to forsake our very own mother. And the same should be true for the church. She's not only the bride of Christ, our Savior, His bride. She's our very own mom, even mother to our brothers and sisters. She's been there for us and for our family for two millennia. Hey, don't think that you and I would be where we are in our faith without the church. The church of yesteryear has laid foundations we've built on today. We're harvesting seeds we didn't plant. The church deserves our respect, especially when she gets sick and needs our help. It's possible that you had a negligent mom. There's an even greater possibility you had a terrible experience at church. But you still owe your mother a debt of gratitude, and you are never justified in giving up on the church. Our obligation to our other mother extends scripturally and optically and practically, and finally spiritually. Next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. It's the 50th day after Passover. The word Pentecost means 50. And it was on this day that Jesus commenced his church. The Spirit of God filled the upper room like a rushing mighty wind. Flickers of fire stood over the living sacrifices, the disciples. The people spoke the praises of God in tongues they'd never learned. In short, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. On that great day, our Lord and His Spirit launched the Mother Church. The Church of Acts. Let's be clear about this. The Mother Church isn't the Catholic Church or the Southern Baptist or Calvary Chapel. It is the powerful transformational church that we find in the book of Acts. The church born of the Spirit in Acts should always be our model. When the Spirit of God fell at Pentecost, He didn't come to inhabit a building or to hijack an institution. He came to empower a community of people. He melted their hearts and merged them into one. 
As Paul declared, they were bonded in the unity of the Spirit. The church is both mysterious and miraculous. It was not the good idea of early Christians. It was God's idea, conceived by his wisdom before the foundation of the world. And despite its flaws and failures, God will never abandon his church. It remains his means of working in a fallen world. He shows up in the midst of his church. I love the quote, the church has many critics, but no rivals. Or said another way, no one can replace your mom. For like a mother, the church is irreplaceable. I love the story about the conversation between God and one of his angels on the day that he created moms. The story, of course, is fictional, but its meaning is true. Well, the angel said, God, you sure are doing a lot of fiddling around on this one. The Lord answered, have you read the specs on this order? She has to be completely washable, but not plastic. Have 180 movable parts, all replaceable. Run on black coffee and leftovers. Have a lap that disappears when she stands up. A kiss that can cure anything from a broken leg to a disappointed romance, and six pair of hands. The angel shook his head. Six pair of hands? No way. But it's not the hands that are the challenge, said the Lord. It's the three pair of eyes that mothers require. That's on the standard model, asked the angel. The Lord nodded. One pair that sees through closed doors and asks, what are you kids doing in there, even when she knows the answer? Another set in the back of her head that sees what she shouldn't, but what she has to know. And of course, the eyes in front that can look at a child when he goofs up and say to him, I understand and still love you without a single word of condemnation. Well, the Lord continued, I'm making good progress. Already I've created a model who heals herself when she gets sick, can feed a family of six on one pound of hamburger, And can get a nine-year-old to stand under a shower. The angel circled the prototype slowly. It's too soft, he sighed. But tough, the Lord said excitedly. You can't imagine what this mother can do or endure. Can it think, asked the angel. Well, not only can it think, but it can reason and compromise and dream, said the creator. Finally, the angel bent over and ran a finger across its cheek. There's a leak. Lord, I told you. You're trying to put too much into this model. It's not a leak, said the Lord. It's a tear. What's it for, the angel wondered. It's for joy, sadness, disappointment, pain, and loneliness. Wow, this tear is a stroke of genius, said the angel. The Lord looked somber. I didn't put it there. See, here's the irony. When it comes to both moms and the church, the scars and the wounds and the tears, the very hurts that might cause us to avoid her were inflicted on her by us. We are what has made her cry. When it comes to your first mom, the blows are obvious. I'm sure your sins are well documented. But maybe you need help to see how that you've harmed the church. 
The church is what, not what you need today because it lacks what you could have given it in healthier times. In a sense, the church makes us, but in another sense, we make the church. We are what we are so quick to criticize. The church is full of family dynamics as complicated as those between a mother and a child. Often it's a love-hate, give-take, an I-need-you, you-need-me kind of tension. You want the joys and blessings of the church. You just don't want to give it the time and responsibility it requires. Sometimes we prefer a more socially suited, just sort of a mix and mingle kind of church. A place that feels, well, more like a party than a revival meeting, where Christianity is more fun and games. But then you get to a place where you desperately need some bite to your spiritual life. And you discover that the church you chose has no teeth. Oh, I suppose no one wants to be at a party with their mother. But that's who you need when the party's over. That's why you pick a church for the hard times. Spiritually speaking, the church is like a mother. For a mom is always alive and sensitive to her child's needs. She never stops caring. She is prone to give you her opinion whether you want to hear it or not. The mere fact she's mom gives her that right. When you go see your mom, you can expect some unsolicited feedback. And dare I say, there are some folks here today who would give anything to hear their mom's opinion one more time. At the time, it wasn't so welcome, but now that she's been gone a while, they realize how much it's missed. And the same is true with a good church. Sometimes we don't appreciate God's blessing until it's gone. Spiritually, you need a motherly kind of church. I'm sure you probably prefer a buddy-buddy church or a rah-rah style of church or a chit-chat type of church. What you need is a motherly kind of church who remembers where you've come from and who you are, who loves you honestly, who loves you enough to see through the games that you play and put you in your place and remind you you're not all that. I hope Calvary Chapel is that kind of church. You know, perhaps the most salient point we learn from the book of Acts is that as far as God is concerned, the church is where the action is. It's God's hot spot. In Acts chapter 2, God launches his church, and it spreads out like kudzu from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And along the way, hypocrites join it. Squabbles erupt in it. Persecution comes against it. But nothing can derail it. People get saved and baptized and filled with the Spirit, and miracles occur around this church. It's as if God can trust a mother with her children. The book of Genesis is the story of how God took the first man, Adam, and populated the human family. Well, the book of Acts is a similar story of how God took the last man, the last Adam, Jesus Christ, and began to populate another family. And if you want to grow a family, what would you want at its center? Nurturing it and feeding it 
and caring for it and holding it together, but a mother. And so, to all the ladies here today who are somebody's mom, happy Mother's Day. And to our other mother, the church, in our case, Calvary Chapel, happy Mother's Day to us. And as the pastor, I'm going to get the cookie when we give them out. Amen.